This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Top Rope Nation, episode 94. You're source for the best professional wrestling talk in the land. My name is Ryan Drosty of comicbook.com. We've got a lot on the agenda tonight. We're going to be talking about AEW. There's a lot as we record this on Thursday night. There's a lot of news going on out there. Conflicting reports of what's going on with AEW's television deal. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Montreal 1997 documentary Dark Side of the Ring that just aired last night. Got a lot to say on that one. And then we're also going to talk WWE Superstar Shakeup, which obviously occurred this week on Raw and SmackDown. Kind of go through uh, who we thought were the winners and losers that night, biggest surprises and all of that. But before we get to the agenda, I got to welcome my two co-hosts, Mr. Justin Joint and Kyle Ross. Let me throw it out first to Justin. Justin, uh, you got a little WWE Network on the TV tonight as we're recording. Why don't you tell the listeners what you're watching out there? Okay, I, I would never recommend for people to watch, you know, end of the era WCW because it's, it's just it's very bad. But having said that, uh, I, I threw on Halloween Havoc 2000. I'd never seen it before, and I threw it on because I I always end up uh, in a Wikipedia deep dive just looking at old pay per views, and I found uh, this one Halloween Havoc 2000 where Sting versus Jeff Jarrett, and Sting is attacked by five different stings from like you know early era to late and uh it's actually kind of fun so i I'd, <laughs> I'd recommend people just just watch that match nothing else so uh late era wcw that sounds actually pretty creative for that time period so maybe worth a maybe worth a view on the wwe network um before i get to kyle ross because i'm going to kind of bring this all together with what i'm talking about here i want to tell you we're live streaming tonight on patreon.com slash top rope nation like we do weekly uh each and every week if you want to get early access to our show get this exclusive video stream which is only available on patreon head on over to patreon.com slash top rope nation one dollar a month will get you access to be a fly on the wall as we record every single week you can see it all going down and the reason i say that is because kyle ross is wearing his eddie gilbert shades tonight circa 2017 top rope nation kyle used to wear these on the broadcast almost every single week what's going on I figured out the lighting situation in my office. Now I'm just doing now I'm just doing it for fun. Um also word of warning, hopefully the microphone doesn't pick this up, but regular listener, longtime listeners of the show will remember this. It is that time of year where the uh annual frog orgy is going on in my backyard. So Oh yeah. 
Lake, <laughs> Get down. Lake Minnetonka is brought to Valley View, Ohio. But um, <laughs> so that's going on in the backyard. And you know, I, I is, when Justin said he was watching Halloween Havoc 2000, I brought up the Wikipedia page in question, and I'm going to sell our listeners on this. Okay, right now. <laughs> The following match was a first blood DNA match between David Flair and Buff Bagwell. Flair, on his way to the ring, brought a DNA testing kit with him, which he left on the announcer's table. Bagwell picked up the victory after hitting a buff blockbuster followed by a chair shot on Flair. After the match, Lex Luger made his surprise return, and after five months away, Luger appeared to be coming out to help Bagwell. However, he then turned his back on him by pushing him into the ring post, causing him to bleed for the mouth. Flair grabbed his DNA kit and used it to collect blood from Bagwell. The next match saw WCW Cruiserweight Champion Mike Sanders face off against WCW Commissioner Ernest Miller in a non-title kickboxing match. Following the, <laughs> following the second round, Shane Douglas appeared at ringside, which led to Miller fighting with him. While the two fought on the outside of the ring, Miller lost the match via countout. Thus, Sanders became the new commissioner of WCW. <laughs> wow. I have no idea who Mike Sanders is. You don't remember above average Mike Sanders? Nope. Derek Chappelle will not be happy with you. Oh, man. Derek, yeah, he would know. Um, guys, I also want to say that this week, what night was that? Tuesday night, two nights ago, uh, Justin and myself went and saw Jake the Snake Roberts, <laughs> the Dirty Details Tour. Uh, we're going to be doing a full breakdown of what we saw that night. Like we're kind of talking about it. Um, Jake Jake kind of keeps a uh, tight lid on what he does at the show because he's trying to sell tickets. But we thought we could review the show and, and let everyone in on, you know, kind of what you see at this Jake Roberts comedy slash story time tour. Um, it's a uh, it's not exactly I don't know. It's not for it's not for young listeners. I'll say that it, it was definitely dirty details. So uh, Justin and I are going to record a real quick uh, kind of like Top Rope Nation extra re review of that. It's going to be posted to our Patreon page in the coming days. That's going to be a Patreon exclusive. So if you want to hear what went down, that's the five dollar tier, by the way, on Patreon.com slash Top Rope Nation, where you get the extra shows. We've done Top Rope Nation classics in the past where we review old shows we're going to be reviewing uh super brawl 2 here within the coming weeks we got to lock down a time to do that that'll be our third top rope nations classics and then uh we do these extra shows like we're doing with the jake roberts review so if you want access to those exclusive editions of top rope nation that's the five dollar tier over on patreon like i said earlier the one dollar tier will get you uh the weekly live cast as we record our standard show here every single week so check that out we'll be posting that in the next day or two um, I also want to say, get this out of the way before we get to the content tonight. If you're listening on iTunes, guys, hit the five-star review. It helps us a lot. This is really easy to do, even if you don't have an iTunes account. If you have an iPhone, search Top Rope Nation in the podcast app. Scroll down on our page to the reviews. You'll have the stars. Just hit five stars. Boom. Done. That's all you got to do. We would appreciate it very much. It helps us with the uh, podcast algorithm rank higher. On iTunes, gets us a lot of new listeners. And also, of course, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, wherever podcasts are found. Rate, review, and subscribe. Um, so with the news, Kyle, I'm going to throw it out to you because you've been following this a lot more closely than I have. Um, we have All Elite Wrestling. I'm also following the LA Dodgers hitting a home run against the Milwaukee Brewers that some say I might be interested in. I apologize oh, for that. Got I've some money on that one? Yeah. Well... 
All Elite Wrestling, their television situation. We talked a little bit about this a week or two ago on the show. I think it was last week when the word was going on that uh, there's going to be a television presentation in, in May at some convention with Turner. And supposedly it was basically finalized that AEW starting in October is going to be on the Turner Networks. I think we were kind of leaning towards TNT with that, but people are kind of going back and forth, TNT, TBS. And now there's conflicting reports out there of if AEW is actually paying to be on the network or if they are being paid by Turner. So Kyle, what's the latest with AEW going on? So there was this report. Um, oh God bless America. What's the guy's name? Tony Maglio. I hope I got his name right. Um, had a report that the deal, you know, first of all, we all thought that it was, you know, Turner was going to pay them to be on the air. Um, then this report dropped today that in fact AEW would have to pay Turner to be on and people quickly started dancing on Dave Meltzer's grave and you know there was a lot of people oh I knew this this has been rumored for a long time actually uh you know I can't believe it took this long to get out and so it's like wow you know what a game changer this is because I mean all this stuff about like this viable second option and you know guys who would be potentially looking to leave WWE for AEW they gotta be like um well much money are these people really going to have if they have to pay to be on TV? Well, then everyone obviously wants to know, well, what's Meltzer going to say about this? What's Meltzer going to say about this? Meltzer completely refutes the story, says that there are multiple offers still on the table, and it's not even – and he says the one-hour – the report that would just be a one-hour show is also false. Um, so he's doubling down on his initial reporting that it's going to be, you know, that they're, you know, they're getting money from whomever – um, and so somebody's wrong. And then somebody, I guess, listened to this podcast where this initial report came from. And I guess the guy was like, well, you know, Dave's the best at what he does. And, you know, if he's, conf- you know, if he disagrees with me, you know, maybe he's the guy to listen to. So I don't know. We need to be careful about speculating on this. I mean, there were a lot of people quick to dance on Meltzer when this rumor that AEW's got to pay to be on the air came out. But obviously, I mean, it is night and day to be either paid to be on the air or have to pay to be on the air. So that's where we're at right now. We don't know. Interesting. I hope we know soon because uh, we got we got this summer. We've got AEW events coming up, and uh, we need we want to get something on the calendar for our sake, for the podcasting world's sake, so we can start talking about AEW a little bit more once they start having events. Obviously, we're going to cover them each and every week once that uh, that show starts up. But we just, we don't know for sure right now. A lot going on out there. So uh, Justin and I were talking about this the other night. Actually, when we were at the Jake Roberts show, had some time to talk for various reasons. And uh, talking about possibly going to the uh, second edition of All In in Chicago. I think it's at the end of August this year that AEW will be putting on. I haven't really asked you, Kyle, but uh, I think that would be a great chance for a Top Rope Nation meetup. Maybe we'll have some listeners there, too. Would you be in, Kyle? I'm sorry. I was still trying to follow the story. Yes, of course I would be. I'm trying to follow the story. I'm watching the video feed. I could kind of tell you weren't listening to me very much. but you know, No, I'm sorry. I, I was reading like new information as it happens. I think this is fascinating Like uh, with the AEW. So I, I just, I don't know. So what, I mean, I don't know. Is it? I, I don't even know if it's worth us having a discussion right now because we could be completely wrong and just wasting our breath. 
Yeah, this is a very fluid story. If anything concrete, I guess, comes out by the end of this broadcast, we'll have it for you. But, uh... you know, I will say this, like the idea of Meltzer being like when Meltzer is so plugged in to AEW, obviously, the idea that he would be like really wrong seems odd, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, say what you will about Meltzer. I mean, he should, I mean, he should be plugged into what's going on. Like the idea of, you know, him not knowing seems kind of far-fetched to me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And I mean, would it even be worth them paying to get on the air? I mean, is that like, I don't think that's a viable option to do. No, I don't think not when streaming's out there at this yeah. point in time. I mean, I know they want to be, they, they need the credibility to be on television, but yeah. these reports have been out there that there was multiple offers on the table for him. So it, it seem it would seem kind of odd that they would be paying to get on Turner, but mm-hmm. yeah. And th- that would, that would mean a terrible time slot too. Cause those yeah. slots aren't those, the, the, they're not going to give away a prime time time slot for, you know, paid programming. And if, if you're a younger fan, I mean, I, you know, I assume most people know this, but you know, back in the eighties, that's all wrestling <laughs> promotions, even WWE uh, paid to be on the air yeah. in the old syndicate, the old syndication days. Um, obviously WWE now has, has come a long way. So we shall yeah. see something to follow. I'm going to be locked onto this Twitter feed to see if anything new breaks concrete, but Meltzer went on the board and said, refuted the entire story said, uh, what was it here? I can, I'll read Meltzer's word. Meltzer's comments word for word here. And I wonder what the alias of Kyle Ross on the board is. This has gone through my mind on several. I, you know, I, I actually never look at it because I don't know. I don't like, I don't like wrestling message boards, but um, okay. One hour is false. Time by is false. It's the exact opposite. Look at sports rights, Bellator, Matchroom, UFC on ESPN. People are offering tons of money both for weekly live programming and also to get their streaming services starting. That's the reason this thing is starting this year. One of the reasons the deal hasn't been signed yet is because there are multiple bidders. So there you go. Something else came out, you know, when people were saying, oh, I've known such and such since January or whatever, is that Showtime may be one of the more, maybe one of the uh, bidders. I thought that was odd because I wouldn't get them in near as many homes. Yeah, I wouldn't be watching AEW. Yeah. That, that I saw that, and that kind of shocked me a little bit. I, I don't deny that, that they're bidding on it, but I would be shocked if they would go with them. Yeah, I mean, because, and, you know, I think there, there was an argument, actually. It's, it's like, well, it kind of made, it kind of puts you in a niche corner if you're on Showtime, right? Like, mm-hmm. who's going to, you know, basically the people who only who already know about you are the ones who are going to get that. And it's, it, it, in terms of growing an audience, it's not great. No, definitely not. You, you know, you would probably want to, and it sounds like this is the case, that Turner was offering less than Showtime, according to a, a person, but um, one report. But, you know, Turner's more attractive, obviously, because of, you know. Growth potential. Yeah, it's basic cable. So, yeah, it's a situation to follow. Okay. Right now, what's going on with that? Interesting. Well, there is a lot to talk about with television this week. I'm going to read a email we got from a listener here in just a minute but to kind of transition here um last week we talked about the dark side of the ring series that has been airing on viceland and uh as of last week it was the first episode premiered on randy savage and then the third episode which actually airs next week but it's been on demand i think they have it up on their youtube page 
the Bruiser Brody one was available. We talked about both of them on last week's show. You can check that out on the in the archives. Before we get into this Montreal one, I just want to reiterate that I very much enjoyed the Savage and Brody docs. I thought the Brody one was the best of the two, but I enjoyed them for what they were. Pretty brief, hour-long documentaries. was very positive on those on the broadcast last week, and I'm saying that as a precursor to how negative I'm going to be on this Montreal (laughs) documentary here in just a second. Uh, to show that I'm not completely biased. I love the project. I think it's a great idea. I've been looking forward to this ever since I heard about it. But, you know, when I heard one of them was going to be on Montreal, I automatically cringed because I wondered how they would tell the story and how honest it would be. So we'll get to that in just a second. But we got a listener email on the Brody documentary that I very much enjoyed uh, last week. And, and I told the guy I wanted to read it on the air. It was a really good email. Uh, if you guys ever want to get a hold of us, we love hearing from listeners send us an email. It's topropenation at gmail.com. Of course, you can always tweet us too at topropenation, uh, but topropenation at gmail.com. Go ahead and uh, send us an email. Let us know your thoughts on whatever's going on in the wrestling world, what you thought of the show. We'd love to hear from you. So yeah, that's right, man. We got to hear from you guys. It feels good. We don't make money doing the show, really. I mean, Patreon is nice. It really hasn't grown to a point where we're actually making money. I mean, we got to we got to pay our hosting to host these audio files and everything. So that's why every week, you know, I'm pushing help us out, support us on Patreon a buck a month. It would go a long ways. But yeah, we're not we're we're spending time making the show just because we love doing it. When we hear from listeners, it really makes it worthwhile. So Definitely send us an email, but we got this this one on um, Tuesday from Robert, and he said, Hi, guys. I'm a big fan of your podcast and can honestly say that it is one of the few podcasts that I eagerly await every week. There are so many wrestling podcasts out there, but you guys seem to have found a great formula, and your friendship with one another translates to the listener. I watched the Vice documentary on Bruiser Brody and thought it was well done. I'm a 36-year-old wrestling fan started following WWF around WrestleMania 5 and have gone in and out of hardcore fandom for phases of my life, but have always maintained at least a passing interest in this great sport. So I knew the name Bruiser Was Brody. sport all caps? No, it's in quotes, though. Oh. <laughs> yes. So I knew the name Bruiser Brody, but being a WWF guy, I never saw any of his matches or knew much about the gimmick. As I was watching, it struck me how much Bruiser's character reminded me of the Berserker, the WWF wrestler from the early 90s. The wild hair and scraggly beard grabbing his hand, shouting. Then I started to think to myself, Brody died in 1988. Please don't tell me Vince would steal this deceased man's gimmick and give it to a Viking character managed by Mr. Fuji. So I turned to Wikipedia, which is actually a pretty great source of wrestling history, and I found out that John Nord, the Berserker, used to tag with Brody in the AWA in the mid-80s, and Nord was doing this gimmick in WWF as a tribute to his deceased friend. Anyways, just thought I would share this piece of wrestling history with three guys who I know would appreciate it. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to the next Top Rope Nation podcast. Thank you, Robert. So... Thanks for the email, Robert. That's awesome. Um, of course, I had to immediately email him back. So he talked about uh, in the opening paragraph, he's a big fan of our podcast, our friendship on the air comes through. So I I didn't want there to be any confusion here. So I immediately wrote back. I said, dear sir, uh, I'm glad that you enjoy the podcast. But just so there's no confusion, Kyle and Justin, these guys, I wouldn't piss on them if they were on fire. Make no mistake about it. <laughs> <laughs> no not really <laughs> that's incredible stuff right there no right no. back we, at you 
we we actually are friends and and we're happy to announce we've changed the name of the show to the bff experience (laughs) no but that was no that was funny um i i shared that with these two that i should write Mm -hmm. that as a joke but no i didn't we are good friends and it is it's awesome that comes through on the air we think that's what makes our show Mm -hmm. unique and we're glad you guys like listening did you guys know that about the berserker by the way because we're about the same um age here as robert he's 36 and uh you know i knew the berserker growing up i didn't really know anything about brody at that point in my life and i so i never made the connection and i didn't really even think about it when i was watching the show so that was that was really interesting to me i i learned something there kyle did you know yeah, I mean, Nord was always a, a kind of a Brody knockoff. I mean, the Berserker yeah. was obviously a cartoonish uh, Bruiser Brody. Um, and very topical this week, the Berserker, by the way. Yeah, that's true. Going back to Justin's joke he just told a minute ago. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I loved how the Berserker, you know what he didn't get enough credit for, the Berserker? How he would win by countout. How he just chuck a guy over the ring and would just win by countout. That was a great finish. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Most of my Berserker finish, uh, not finishes, Berserker uh, memories are kind of like watching the home videos years later. I don't even remember really watching them live too much. I mean, I was watching wrestling around that time period, but not on the regular. I was pretty young. So, uh, mm-hmm. Justin, anything you share there? No, I'm kind of with you. And, uh, you know, I, I remember the Berserker. I was not aware of Brody at the time. Um, I did Once I learned about Brody, I saw the connection, but. Uh, never really bothered me. Yeah. By the way, the Berserker underwent a, ni- a name change after a couple weeks. He was not originally called the Berserker. What was he called on TV originally? The Berserker Experience? Nope. He was called the Viking when he first was on TV. <laughs> yes. Well, we get into the uh, the Viking Experience yeah. later on. He literally was. And, you know, actually, a lot of people who did the, you know, um, watch the Superstars episodes from 92 that WWE Network just put up. You know, obviously the Berserker was kind of back in the discussion on Twitter, at least, you know, when people started watching him because there's that angle where he he took the sword and tried to impale the Undertaker, which was, I suppose, moderately hardcore for that era of WWF. Yeah. Went nowhere, though, really. Didn't, you know, they kind of just, the feud just sort of stopped happening. Yeah. Well, the reason I was so high on the Brody doc, and I talked with Justin about it. I don't think he was as high on it as I was, but I I didn't know a whole lot about Bruiser Brody. I mean, I knew the general story of his death, so I really enjoy the documentary Dark Side of the Ring did on him. I, I have think not that's, seen it yet. I have. I not think seen it's worth it a watch. Yet. I mean, I would definitely recommend it if you hadn't seen it. So I, again, I got to say that as a precursor to what, what we're about to say, talk about. Uh, what was your recommendation for the Montreal Screwjob episode of Dark Side of the Ring? <laughs> you ready to get into this? Uh, yeah. All right. So I hate just I just can't stand it when people even try to speculate that, oh, this wasn't legit. It was a work. There's first off, there is no chance that the Montreal Screwjob was a work. It was 100 percent legitimate. And if you're making a documentary on on the story to even hint at the fact that it could be a work is dishonest and embarrassing. And then when you have people on the documentary, like Scott Hall, oh man, bless Scott Hall, but I don't know what he was thinking with this, who infer that he thinks it's a work. How do you not ask Bret Hart? Like there was no quote from Bret Hart on the documentary. So some people think this is a work. How do you respond? Never asked him about it. They have the subject matter on the broadcast and they don't ask him about it. So going in, I was a little hesitant. I mean. Look, it's been 21 and a half years. It's been a long time. The story's been out there forever. 
if you're a dedicated wrestling fan, you've probably read and read and read on this story. And all of us, we were watching wrestling when it happened. Uh, I followed it really closely at the time. I remember calling in to not the wrestling hotlines that were charging money, but our local like city line around here had like a wrestling news thing you could call in weekly. And oh, I was calling I remember in. that. Yeah, I, I, it was like yeah. Blackjack Brown was the guy or something. I was calling in weekly, like trying to get the update. What happened there? And this is, I didn't have the internet in 1997. And I was trying, I was plugged in through this local wrestling hotline trying to figure out what was going on. And then, you know, I got wrestling with shadows in uh, 98, late 98, I think when it was released, mm-hmm. um, read everything I could. I think I've read almost every article ever put out about the Montreal screw job, uh, read all the observers about it where Meltzer had like this, the transcript from backstage and Brett was wearing the wire with Vince and the yeah, whole and story and what happened. Just to jump, if I could jump, cause you know, I think recently, especially on the pod, like maybe me in particular has been pretty critical of Dave in some mm-hmm. areas. Uh, it needs to be said that that is like Meltzer's coverage of that is like kind of peak Dave. Oh yeah. That's, that's like where some, you of his, go. some of his best work. Yeah. He was talking with Brett directly. I mean, that's where you got to go for the story. So, I mean, we can deep dive on this all we want, but I mean, there is zero chance it was a work. Um, I've talked with people in the business about this story. I've talked with Brett himself about the Montreal Screwjob on more than one occasion, both on the phone and in person. Um, I trust Brett Hart's word on this because I I looked into his eyes and had him telling me the story firsthand. Oh, that sounds. <laughs> I mean, I'm just that being real. Passionate. I'm just being real with you. I've talked with the man himself about it. I've read every article Justin, about this Justin, were thing. you there for that? I mean, was he there was kissing not. involved I was for not. that? Or? I was okay. not. Okay, gotcha. You know what I'm talking about. You can tell someone's lying to you. And we're going to get into why it's not even possible that it was a work. I mean, it's just not even feasible. And Brett, Brett is a reputation for being one of the most honest guys. Like, there's a lot of guys who, like, just forget, whether they forget stuff or they're, like, working, you know, like Jake Roberts. But, um... You know, Brett is always a guy who, who's well regarded for, you know. Yeah, his his documentary or his, his documentary, his biography is one of the best wrestling biographies ever written. If you don't know, Brett kept an audio journal his entire career. He documented for years everything that was happening. And in his autobiography, he's got dates for everything. It's super thorough. Um, but yeah, I mean, to make a long story short. I personally know Bret Hart a little bit. I haven't talked to him in years, but for a couple of years, I was in regular contact with him. Maybe I can talk about how that happened on a later show. But uh, you know, I feel pretty connected to the story, and I, you know, I don't like want to toot my own horn here, but I feel like I but am pretty toot, well. Toot. I feel like I'm pretty well versed on the Montreal screw job, and so watching this, I got a little fired up because, first of all, they made so many questionable decisions on how the documentary was structured. Um, it's yep. hard to cover the whole thing and with commercials, you know, less than an hour. They spent so much time on the stupid feud between Vince Russo and Jim Cornette, who were both writing WWF at the time. And that almost became like its own side story within the documentary. And I'm thinking as I'm watching this, who the hell cares about this? I mean, the closing footage on this documentary as the credits roll is them arguing. And they're arguing on whoever, you know, who came up with the screw job. They're arguing about how they didn't like each other. Um, I just felt like it just barely touched the surface on what was happening. And I got to say, Bruce Pritchard, my God, I've listened to something to wrestle. I like it. But when you see Bruce Pritchard on this Montreal show and his memory is so bad about one of the biggest stories in the history of wrestling, and he was right there for it. Like, well, I know his I memory like, bad. 
what's that is his memory really bad or is he just or... covering i mean yeah because my my pro my thought process here is his entire podcast is built on him telling stories for stuff he was there for and if he can't get the story right on something that is one of the biggest stories he was ever around how can you trust anything that's on that damn podcast and so what i'm talking about here is early on in the podcast uh, this is frustrating to me because I took notes during it and the notes didn't save on my computer. So I'm going off in memory now, but I had quotes written down, but he says something to the effect of this was Brett's last night in the company, meaning survivor series 97. And they had to get the belt off of him. That is blatantly false. It was not Brett's last night in the company. In fact, he was booked for live events through the whole rest of the month. He was under contract through the end of November. He was supposed to work raw the next night. It's the reason he couldn't have been on Nitro the next night. He wasn't on Nitro until December. Um, in fact, he had gotten permission from WCW, I believe in writing, to work the December WWF pay-per-view, which ended up being In Your House DX. Um, which is one of the shittiest pay-per-views <laughs> that you could ever waste your time. It's right there with Halloween Havoc 2000, I yeah. believe, Justin, so, in terms of So he's of telling the story like, okay, we had to get the belt off Brett. Brett's not going to do business. It's his last night. That does a whole disservice to the entire story because if you actually believe that, you're thinking, yeah, they had to get the belt off. What, what choice did they have? We had to screw the guy. But it's not true. He was in the company. This is early November. It was like, what, November 9th? He was under contract the entire rest of the month. And then they go through and they make it seem like Brett was not agreeing to drop the title under any circumstances. And that is also not true. He volunteered to drop the belt to several people, including Sean, just not at the Survivor Series. Um, he volunteered to drop the title in a four-way at the December pay-per-view. He volunteered to forfeit the title in Raw if they wanted to go that route. He gave them several reasons or several you know opportunities to get the belt off him so the whole idea that brett wouldn't do business and it was his last night in the company is just completely false and that when you have that narrative on the show it kind of just like sidelines the whole thing to me like how can i take anything else seriously what did you think of pritchard on this show kyle well having um cornette did a podcast oh god it was probably a year ago now uh where he did montreal revisited and he had pritchard on it i'm pretty sure uh, regardless i listened to a, a jim Cornette experience podcast that had bruce pritchard on it where they discussed um montreal and dave Meltzer's reporting so i knew based on last week that pritchard was gonna be on this week and i knew already knew what his take was gonna be he feels that you know dave's reporting was totally slanted, told through the eyes of Bret Hart, what have you. So I knew what to expect from him. My issue with this documentary was actually, it didn't even get to that level where, you know, about the facts, about what we know, about Dave's reporting, what's come out, you know, whether you believe Dave, 100%, 95%, whatever. I just think it was a lousy documentary. Like, not even just on Montreal. It was just a bad documentary period. And I got to be honest with you, my enthusiasm to say it's tempered for the rest of these Viceland docs uh, would be the understatement of the year. I was hoping like this was, these were something that they would like delve into. It was going to be a smart discussion, you know, something that could bridge the gap between people who have really no knowledge of these subjects. Like, you know, like my wife, for instance, like I could watch her and be like, Hey, you know, this is like, 
you know, the side of the business you don't hear about. And here's some intelligent discussion about it. Two weeks in, man, and I'm just I thought that Savage thing was average at best, personally. And I mean, this Montreal was just, I mean, it was awful. I mean, I would give it like an F. By. I struggle to finish it. It was oh. that bad. <laughs> it, it was it was that bad. It just as a documentary, it just jumped around and had no focus. Just yeah. watch it as a, like, so what I feel these doc, and, and I'm, I'm going to bring up some notes I texted you earlier because I want to share with the show. What these two documentaries, the Savage one and the Montreal one have been, in my opinion, is basically cliff notes for people who already know the stories. And my real issue with them, I saw this a little bit, in the Savage one, and it certainly played true in the Montreal one. It's like the talking heads, it's like a race to see who can affirm or dispute these commonly held, you know, uh, viewpoints. Mm-hmm. And it, it almost feels like the documentaries are more about putting over the talking heads who have decided to share their time than the story itself. You mentioned that with the Cornet Russo thing. Completely yeah. needless. Like, and so I watched the Savage one with my wife, and she's like, "Oh, I kind of learned some things," but I don't think she thought it was a particularly good documentary, and I didn't think it was great either. I just thought it was kind of, again, eh, you know, Randy Savage is a very famous pro wrestler. This is kind of his story. Nothing more, nothing less. Whatever. All right, a little disappointed. This, like, I feel like if you're not a wrestling fan and you watch this, you would just be completely confused. Mm-hmm. Like the way it was put together. Like why? Like, I get that they wanted to build up the differ, or they wanted to differentiate between Brett and Sean, build up that rivalry. But there was, like, it would just jump around to things. And if, like, you don't know about the click incident or, you know, the sunny days. Like, yeah, that was really, you know, I mean, that added to the heat. But, like, they told it like it was kind of like, oh, sunny days. Oh, and, like, like it was, like, this huge thing. And I just feel like. They were just jumping around. If you don't know the story, you're just lost. They didn't even, they didn't touch on um, Mania 13, the losing the smile, any of that. I just feel like, I just hated the way it was, the focus. You can tell, it's really easy to tell a story because documentaries have been doing this since the beginning of television of two people who don't like each other. You, You don't have to go deep dive for that fan. Who knows? I mean, you don't even need to go into losing trouble. You could just say, hey, here's these two guys. They were, it was coming to a head. This is where WWE was at at the time. You had two guys who, you know, who had been with the company for several years, were top guys. They freaking hated each other. Vince McMahon had this decision. The irony of, like, so I think I mentioned this last week. This is the one I was looking forward to the least of all six. Mm-hmm. And part of it is this Montreal fatigue I have. The, Everyone talks about it like from with 1997 lenses. I want somebody to talk about it with 2019 lenses. Meltzer, to his credit, does mention this. If somebody was not a wrestling fan of 97, younger fan just reads about that, they would think this is the silliest goddamn thing that ever happened, despite how important it is. Like, because there's an irony with Brett and Shaw. You know, this whole who's better, Brett and Shaw. There's a real irony to that debate. They're the same, they serve the same function. Yeah, they were different people. Yeah, their characters were different. But in the end, they served the same function for the company. Former tag wrestlers, you know, kind of changed, you know, in terms of in-ring what the WWE could do. But they weren't draws, okay, during that era. You know, uh, their best work both came after a heel turn in 97. 
And in Brett, the end, I, I do got to say, Brett Brett was more of a draw than Sean because he was a huge draw in Europe. That's true, but at the end, both of them needed to be out of the way for Austin. Yeah. So, like, I I hate the Brett for like WrestleMania twelve. Like, it just comes off as like very childish to me between the two. Like, it's just eye rolling. Like, I, I I have no desire to hear like a Brett versus Sean thing. You know, at the end of the day, it was a dick move what the WWE did, but. They, they, you know, I mean, can you imagine Twitter if we had Twitter the night of Survivor Series '97 <laughs> or wrestling podcasts? Oh, yeah. WWE's WWE's dead. Oh, they're dead. It's over. Yeah. What a stupid it's... move. They they just sent Bret Hart to WCW. They're dead. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, it got better. And you know, it was a really dick move. And the WWE side is not honest at all. Okay, they're not. And. They the the bottom line is they need you know it, it sounds crazy I mean Bill Simmons has kind of jumped the shark now but you know I, I liked in his book how he he threw Bret Hart in for his Ewing theory things that inexplicably get better when somebody good leaves mm-hmm. and that's what happened and the same thing with Sean if you don't think that 1998 WWF benefited from both Bret and Sean being out of there you're just wrong and that's a discussion that is not talked about enough. Like, I don't want to hear about this whole, oh, I stand for tradition. Oh, we were going in a different direction, and I embody that. Who the fuck cares about any of that anymore? You just come off as two childish people. So it, I want to hit on a lot of what you just talked about. Um, With your wife watching and everything, with the Savage Doc, I would try to avoid anyone I know watching this one because I would feel like I would have to explain the entire story to them afterwards because... Like you said, if it you don't really know the story, yeah, you wouldn't really know what the hell was that all about. And yeah, 20 years later, the wrestling business has changed so much. You wouldn't get what the big deal is, really. But it was a whole different business back then. Um, and a couple other quotes from Pritchard. I, there's one in particular I had here from my Twitter account. Um, he said, to have our champion leave the company with the championship is a kick in the nuts. Okay, again, there was no chance Brett was leaving the company with the championship, the fuzzy memory and the lack of a truthful explanation that Bruce Pritchard has here in this documentary basically makes him the Bill Barr of wrestling documentaries, if I could quote mm-hmm. current events, because Bret Hart couldn't leave with the belt. There was litigation going on at the time over Medusa taking the WWF women's title and dropping it in the garbage can on Nitro. There was no chance that could happen. And again, he was there the whole rest of November. That's a moot point. Um, so uh, Scott Hall, let's touch on Scott Hall and why he thought Scott Hall said at the end of the documentary that he believed Montreal was a work from the first that's time bad. he thought. That's, that, that's really brutal. bad. Really, really bad. There's no chance it was a work. I'll get into why here in just a second. That, but that, That's almost as bad. I mean, just because it doesn't have the vast repercussions, you know, the things do. But it's like these people who all of a sudden have decided, like, you know, the earth is flat or these anti-vaxxer people. It's like, folks, how are we getting dumber with more information at our fingertips? <laughs> Seriously. Um, yeah, he's he's watching it on the TV in the documentary. And he talks about how he thought it was a work the first time he saw it because of the camera cuts and now i can't remember if it's scott hall or someone else i had in my notes those notes have blown up they're gone but someone says look there's no way the wwf would have allowed bret hart in the middle of the ring on their broadcast 
to do the WCW thing with his hands. That wasn't even on the show. That was after they went off the air. They continued filming, obviously, because they had cameras there, but that was not on the Survivor Series. They've shown it years later because they had the footage of it. was not on the show, so that's no. not a reason that it would be a work. The, Scott I Hall- mean, was the show on the air for, like, longer than – like two minutes no like it like immediately finish. went off immediately. i mean they went i mean they went quick because it's funny because you can tell when jim ross figured out what happened yeah sean is walking comments. up the aisle and they go off the air if i recall correct like he's carrying the yeah they're the all in the aisle right up the and aisle jim, and just go and jim ross and jim ross makes the has the the line where you can clearly tell he figured out what happened he goes oh you want to talk about some controversy yeah and the, you hear his voice that he figured it out the stuff where Brett's smashing the TVs and stuff, none of that was on the air. That's footage from like Wrestling with Shadows they showed, and then WWF, yeah. WWE showed it years later. But Hall talks about, and I've heard also heard people say, like, well, how they know to cue Sean's music right away? It's like at their fingertips. It's not hard to play a guy's theme music. Oh, but, uh, sorry, go Scott Hall. He says that. You know, the reason he thought it was uh, work is because of the camera cuts, because they zoom in on on Vince, which, by the way, that's not how it, it was on the broadcast. On the broadcast, they're at a far away angle when Brett spits on Vince. That's that's later work where they showed mm-hmm. the separate cameras that were filming where you have the zoom on Vince. But even if they had done that on the live broadcast, it's super easy to do camera cuts. Like I in college, I majored in electronic media for two years and I had to practice like directing a live show. I did this in like in a in an actual broadcast room. And all you do is like cut one, cut two, cut three. Like someone has that at their fingertips to go to that, that camp. That would not be hard at all. So there's that is not support that it was a work. And I was just kind of laughing as he was saying that. And it's yeah, it's hard to believe that Scott Hall hadn't talked to Shawn Michaels about this over the years, too, yeah. which he kind of infers. Yeah, for this, for that to be like one of the big takeaways of this podcast, I know you share on your Twitter, like um, the dark side of the ring account, like tweeted after watching this, do you think it was maybe a work? Like for that to be like a narrative to be advanced by this is so bad. That's dishonest as hell. That's not a good documentary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really, I mean, to advance something that is known to be false is is terrible. Yeah. It, It just, yeah. So the reason it's not a work, let's just think about this logically. This is the last thing I'm going to say on this, and then we'll get into current wrestling events, not 20-year-old stuff. Um, mm-hmm. The idea, obviously, doing this to Bret Hart would make him a star, and everyone would be interested in Bret Hart. The idea that the WWF, who was getting their asses kicked by WCW at the time, would give Bret Hart that kind of momentum going to WCW is freaking insane. Now, yes, WCW dropped the ball and that's on them but brett was the hottest thing in wrestling when he got to wcw and that tells you how bad that company was that they completely dropped it with him but vince gave them the golden goose like by doing this there's no way he willingly does that um the other reason that it's bullshit and this is this is really the exclamation point on it and the the period to the end of all these speculation and the conspiracy theories is that Obviously, everyone knows what happened to Owen Hart in 1999. There was a lawsuit over that, a wrongful death lawsuit between the Hearts and Vince McMahon and the WWF. And the WWF advanced the narrative in that lawsuit that one of the motivating factors behind the Hearts lawsuit, besides the death of Owen, was that they wanted to get, they were out for revenge because of what happened in Montreal. If the Montreal screw job was a work, it would have came out then and there period the Hart family brett himself would have said 
that's not a motivating factor because it was all planned. And he would have blown that argument up. He didn't do that because it was real. Case closed. <laughs> I mean, I just wish, you know, the WWE, I feel like, just doesn't want to look like the bad guy. In the, so they like, that's why, like, you know, a lot of the, the Pritchard was kind of their voice of, oh, we're not bad. You know, this is why we did what we did. I have no issue with them telling the real story and just being like, it's fine. Like, I don't really like it. Like I said, it was a dick move in a, in a vacuum, but like, I don't hate them for it. Yeah. I think Vince was super paranoid about everything happening that, you know, what had happened in recent history with Medusa, with them announcing their television results on the air when they had taped Raw's. I think his motivation was they were just going to announce on TV that they had signed Bret Hart and he didn't want their champion to be announced as being part of WCW in the coming weeks. And that's probably why he did it. But he had ample opportunities to get the belt off of Bret Hart. It's a lie to say he didn't. Uh, I think that's probably, I think that paranoia is probably what motivated the whole thing. I just wish there was more of a, like I said, a more of a macro look at this. I mean, the unintended benefits that the Montreal Screwjob had for the WWE, like I said. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, basically it created the Mr. McMahon character. Um, You know, I, I just, Again, I go back, forget about it being a bad look at Montreal. It was just a bad documentary, period. Yeah. Justin, and, did, and, did you see this documentary, by the way? He's just been yeah. kind of sitting over there. Yeah. Nope. Okay. Oh, well, I did not, would not I, recommend I, it. And I'm actually, I'm glad you cleared one thing up because the one question I had was uh, if they had opportunities to get the title off of them, why do the screw job? But your uh, comment makes sense that he was afraid that WCW would. Um, you know, mentioned that they had signed the champion. Yeah, they they also infer in the documentary that um, this was the one event that like blew the cover off of kayfabe in the world of wrestling, which is kind of BS. I mean, I can kind of see that, but look, I think the WWF had already aired the thing Vince did about good guys versus bad guys, and we're not going to insult your intelligence. And they you know, they've been talking about that, that they were entertainment for a long, yeah. long time at this oh, point. I mean, they, 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 they had admitted in the eighties in yeah. um, some court filings. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was, I'm not sure when that Vince thing aired, but it was around that time. And they had already started mm-hmm. airing the WWF attitude commercials before the survivor series. Uh, and the business was pretty open at that point. I think, you know, the internet was just getting popular and this, yeah. that, it is true that this was like one of the first big stories where people on the internet were trying to figure yeah. out. Like, Did, you Did you watch so, it live? Did you watch it live? No, I was I was listening to it live through the fuzz on the old okay. days of scrambled pay-per-view. I remember I was in one room and my parents were watching uh, Married with Children on Fox. And I was running back and forth between that and the Survivor Series, like listening what happened. I, I heard the finish happen and stuff and was thoroughly confused. <laughs> yeah, we were too. And I looked, I was like, oh, like we had heard some stuff like, oh, Brett might leave. And like immediately, like, uh-oh. Uh oh, what happened? And then you know we were scrambling, trying to get online, trying to figure out stuff. And yeah, but just yeah, just a a a terrible look at the most famous finish in professional wrestling history, the Vice yeah. documentary. Uh, Justin, did you watch this one live, or do you, what, what do you remember hearing about it? You know, I can remember watching the Raw after, but I I have no memory of what I was doing when it happened. I, I just, I, I don't remember. I don't remember how I found out. I know I was like you and listened to the fuzz a lot back in those days, but uh, on this one, I don't, I don't remember. Well, I do know, I do remember from our uh, top rope nation classics on SummerSlam 97, which you can hear on Patreon review that full show that 
1997 was a very memorable year for Justin's joints. So you guys might want to uh, <laughs> he shares yep, some, uh, some good stories on that broadcast. Only available at patreon.com slash top rope. Incredible stuff. All right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the next one, Super Brawl 2, Top Rope Nation Classics coming up. Uh, there's your preview. But, uh, all right, I guess I think we pretty much covered it. I, I had to get that off my chest because I was kind of furious <laughs> watching that. And we went, we've been texting about it before it, it, we went it, live it, tonight. It, it was, Scott, it was bad. Yeah, it was it was not good. So sorry, for Dark Side it, of the Ring. Yeah, try next week. But God, for me to like just want to punt on a pro wrestling documentary like twenty minutes in—that's bad. Yeah, it was. I I mean, I like I said, I had pretty low expectations going in, and I was cringing a little bit thinking about it. And it in that regard, it just dis, didn't disappoint because uh, it was cringeworthy. That is for sure. Um, all right, should we talk about the superstar shakeup? Absolutely. 2019 who, who knows you know pro wrestling is still going guys <laughs> it's still a thing beyond 1997 so despite what all the podcasts that didn't happen in 1997 would have said yeah so all right we had raw and we had smackdown uh the superstar shakeup with was both nights if you haven't been keeping up we can run through who went which way and then we can talk about winners and losers so i'm just gonna go ahead and read off the names to monday night raw we had AJ Styles, The Miz, Andrade, Zelina Vega, Mysterio, The Usos, Naomi, Eric Young, Cedric Alexander, Ricochet, Alistair Black, EC3, Lacey Evans, and no longer known as the War Raiders, the Viking Experience. We'll come back to that in just a second. To SmackDown Live. Incredible tag had, <laughs> To SmackDown Live, we had Roman Reigns, Finn Balor, Elias Bailey, Ember Moon, Chad Gable, Apollo Cruz, Mickey James, Liv Morgan, Kyrie Zane, Lars Sullivan, Buddy Murphy, and I forgot to Raw. Um, supposedly Samoa Joe will be going to Raw. It just didn't yeah. air because Samoa Joe was sick and couldn't appear. So uh, I guess first reactions as far as uh, who you think won the Superstar Shakeup, Kyle. I remember at this time last year, the clear consensus was that SmackDown was better. And sure enough, you know, as we kind of rolled into Mania um, just a few weeks ago, I think the consensus, everyone was talking about, well, you know, are we seeing the effects of that? Because SmackDown was consistently the better of the show. How much of that was the shakeup? How much of that is just being two hours as opposed to three? Uh, is a probably a different discussion for a different time. I don't know if there was a clear winner here. I'm looking at the the rosters as they're constituted now. Um, mm -hmm. My takeaways are, are as follows. One, I think the shakeup is always better in theory than in practice. It sounds like a cool concept, but again, I think if you're like kind of a new listener or new viewer, casual, it's very confusing because first of all, what's annoying about it is the announcers constantly trying to out-orgasm each other every time someone comes out. Like that gets old real quick. I mean, God bless Michael Cole. I mean, I defended him on this program last week, but I, I don't know. I, I just, oh my God, what does this mean? But, and then you get into stuff that's like Black and Ricochet, who had been appearing on Raw regularly as well on SmackDown since their NXT call up. You know, they come out and Cole's like, oh, does this mean they're on Raw? Or, you know, will we be seeing them on Tuesday? You know, it's just like kind of confusing. 
I thought that was really weird because right when yeah. he came out, they said that. I'm like, well, why would this mean he's on Raw? He's been on both shows for weeks. Well, you know, in the, and Lars Sullivan, he had the Raw graphic yeah. saying that he was part of and then he ended up on SmackDown. Yeah, and I think .com even announced him as part of the shakeup going to Raw, and then that didn't. So, you know, I've said on this program many times before, I'll say it again right here, I, I really think in lieu of a, like this one week where we just shake it all up and have mass movement. I just think more organic movement between the brands throughout the course of the year where like, you know, one guy changes. I think it would stand out more. I think it would mean a lot more. I think it would be a lot better, but we're not going to get that. So I don't, I don't know why, why can't you do trades? I mean, that would yes. really get the fans talking. Yeah. yeah. And you know, what I always was, thought they were going to do that too. And it's never really happened. And you know, what was really Meltzer brought this up in, in you know, and his, his thing was so negative in the observer this week. It was kind of, that was kind of tough to read too. But one thing I did agree with him on is like, there was really no rhyme or reason as to why these moves were being made. Like there really were no GMs doing it. Like there was no one, it was, you know, outside of Vince announcing SmackDown got its biggest acquisition. I mean, is Vince pulling the strings now for SmackDown? I mean, Shane, it was funny. Shane was on Raw, not SmackDown this week. So it, it, that was kind of odd. Um, I think another issue is looking at these two brands, there's a lack of clear marquee matches for the future. Did you guys get that sense? Like when I'm looking at this or, or you know, you watch the shows, What's the big match on Raw, the obvious big match? What's the obvious big match on SmackDown? I don't know if it's there. Now, obviously, there's a lot of time to tell some stories, and maybe they, we don't know what they have planned, but there doesn't seem like that obvious big match. I think on Raw, it's probably the one people are looking forward to is AJ and Seth, but that's, that's a baby face match right now. Yeah, that, that's a golf clap match. Yeah. So that's not going to headline know. a pay per view, I mean, in my opinion. Well, yeah. Uh, Roman Reigns and AJ Styles headline two of them. Well, AJ was newer, though. I mean, I to, I mean, it could headline to me. I, I, I am not super jacked for Seth Rollins, AJ Styles. Like, if that's your biggest match, I don't know. That's just to me, maybe a sign of the times. I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for it. Maybe not like jacked, but I'm chubbed. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to become your yeah. new trademark. Line I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think if anything, the most interesting thing from it is over on SmackDown, the dynamic and how it's navigated with Kofi Kingston as the champion and Roman Reigns, you know, being brought in as the big acquisition. I think that to me and how that's navigated is the most interesting thing that comes out of it. Other than that, I mean, I think the big moves we all all kind of foretold on this show, AJ and Miz going to Raw made a lot of sense. AJ, just because he'd been a SmackDown guy the whole time, Miz you know, with the synergy with his show that's on the USA mm -hmm. Network. Roman to SmackDown makes a lot of sense because I was very adamant that you get him away from Seth. You know, with Dean yeah. Ambrose now gone, there's no remnants of the shield. They can be two su singles guys on different shows, and I thought the specter of Roman would kind of hurt Seth potentially. Who knows what it'll do to Kofi. Again, like I said, I think that's the most interesting thing moving forward on SmackDown, at least on paper right now. I think um, you don't have Seth or Roman on screen together at all until the build to Mania next year if they do Seth Roman. And then that can be a huge deal where one of them wins the Rumble and they they finally come back together. And that's that's your big yeah. match. Um, I think... Or if, it could even be survive. If, if Roman winds up as the SmackDown champion, 
because mm-hmm. um, you know, Ooh, I mean, you yeah. could always do the you could always do the champion champion match at Survivor Series there. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's their mania plan right now. We'll see. Um, I was gonna say, I think watching the two shows, I felt like as a television viewer, the Raw portion of the shakeup was more entertaining. It seemed like on SmackDown, other than the big Roman segment and Vince and everything being there, it felt kind of like. It was more of an afterthought, like it wasn't as focal as it was on Raw with with the new people coming to the roster. But I think um, as far as choosing which side won, I would lean towards SmackDown um, just because if I it's because of three guys. It's because of Roman going there with a new look. Um, It's because of Finn Balor going there. And I think Buddy Murphy is going to do some awesome things. Um, But it's it's pretty close like these. It's pretty even. There's there's some good possibilities on both sides. I think they needed a shakeup. It had gotten kind of stale, and uh, this is a good time of the year to do it. But yeah, if I have to choose, I would go. I'd go SmackDown. But I mean, I am looking forward to seeing Ricochet and Aleister Black. You know, continue to work their way up the cards. I feel like on Raw, it's I'm more excited about some of the newcomers. You know, with uh, Ricochet, Aleister Black, I think Lacey Evans is awesome. Maybe I'll take some heat on Twitter for this because I saw her getting bashed on Monday night uh, constantly. But I think Lacey Evans I, is I, super I, refreshing. These, these people are out to fucking lunch, man. I had Lacey Evans is a star, dude. Yeah, it, it, we're all people like, oh, she's not ready. Oh, she's not. it's just bullshit. <laughs> Again, what is the way uh, WWE has realized this? Okay. And is going with it. What is the way to get he- true heel heat right now in 2019? Take these people who people think are over pushed and push them as heels. And it's working. I thought, and I thought she looked great in the ring. I did too. I thought and she her, was excellent. Did, did you notice the crowd with that moonsault? They were like, oh. Yeah. You know, yeah, that, it was that, great. That, and all people did was bash. Oh, she landed her knees on her tomb. Like, come on. Lacey Evans is a hell of an athlete. She's got a great look. Uh, the, for whatever you think about the character, I think it's working, and uh, I think she is a big time women's star in the making. And I am, I'm looking forward to seeing what's happening with her. Yeah, uh, as far as surprises go for me, um, Black and Ricochet still being positioned as a team, a little surprising. I don't think it's bad. I just think that you know, we've talked, I've talked about before, we've talked about before that they have enough chops to stand on their own. Oh, yeah. Uh, the way the riot squad was broken up and how I think was a little surprising, you know, the way just kind of done as an afterthought on dot com and live being the single, you know, or cast on her light. Cause who knows, maybe they'll have Ruby and, and Sarah Logan as singles on raw too. But, um, you know, live being cast as a single on her own. That's kind of, uh, you know, by herself on SmackDown. That's interesting because she was the one, if you remember those riot squad, six woman tags, she ate the pinfall a lot. Mm-hmm. So unless it, like they're going to have some total change in character for her, I'm not sure what her ceiling is really as a single. Um, I, I wish the best for her. Um, no Pete Dunn. You know, that you know him losing the UK title, and they're doing a rematch Saturday, him and Walter. They were hyping. So that led to a lot of speculation. Oh, well, they're blowing that whole thing off. You know, maybe Pete Dunn's going to the main roster. Guess not. Um, also, the way that the women's division and the tag team divisions are seemingly uh, very unevenly distributed. 
Raw, I think, has a pretty. Uh, we, we've mentioned Lacey, and you know, the I, I think that her and Becky's going to be, you know, obviously is the go-to on Raw. But other than that, it is a weak women's division on Raw. I mean, you basically have Alexa and Natty, and a lot of missing in actions, including you know Sasha Banks, of course. But you okay. know, so this is why I thought SmackDown won. And, and and it's not really a win for the fans. I thought they won because they got uh, Bailey and uh, Ember Moon. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, with Roman Reigns, it all really felt that they're building for a three-hour show. Oh, I hope not. I don't think, no, because Fox has only earmarked them for two. So I don't, I don't think that. Okay. I'm just yeah. throwing that out there. Was there. A t- there was a talk of a third hour, like an FS1, but yeah. it, that it would probably be 205 Live or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is possible. It'd be kind of awkward, though, to be like, well, and then now the third hour yeah. is switched over to FS1. But they there's talk of them there being a third hour of WWE content. So I don't know. We'll see. But well, the women's division is deep on SmackDown. You got Charlotte, Ember, Bailey. Asuka, Kyrie, who's going to be a tag team. Mandy, Sonia, Carmella, Liv, Mickey, who, you know, <laughs> I guess that whole uh, trying to get her trending as the Monday Night MILF uh, did not work. That, that was bad. Then they got her sent right to SmackDown <laughs> and then Lana. So, I mean, to me, the way I look at this is you're going to see Beck, because you don't have a lot of depth on the Raw side with women, I th- obviously Lacey's going to be the next contender. So you, I think you're going to see a lot of Becky on Raw. Yeah, And then, you know, the Iconics, I think, because there's a lot more depth on SmackDown, and certainly you've got this Asuka Kyrie team clearly positioned as contenders. I think you're going to see the Iconics probably a lot more on SmackDown. Um, and then you can build a future contender, uh, you know, given the depth. Uh, interesting, Bailey was booed. To quote Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 13, you heard the boos. <laughs> Um, which which I thought was interesting. Um, and Ember Moon, you know, who Justin referenced, I think is the is the untapped resource here in the oh, women's yeah. division because she she was the one person who I think got a little hampered with Ronda as the champion because she was a fellow babyface and they weren't gonna get her into the title situation before she got hurt, so she kind of had to deal with the plateau there or a limited ceiling, Ember. But mm-hmm. now I, that doesn't exist. Um, but the tag, the thing with Raw is their tag team division is way stronger. I mean, wh- you've got Usos coming over, Revival, Ricochet and Black, of course, the tremendous Viking experience. <laughs> um, so I mean, you can make an argument that the champions on the Raw brand, uh, Ryder and Hawkins, are the fifth best team on that brand, and maybe sixth when the Authors of Pain get healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Tag team stronger on Raw, women stronger on SmackDown. Um, I mean, I mean, SmackDown, you got nothing for the tag. I mean, the Hardys, God bless them. I mean, they've got as strong as argument as any, you know, to be considered maybe the top WWF tag team of all time. But I don't know about having them anchor a division in 2019. I mean, they're the new day, and you get the new day and Kevin Owens. Yeah, but I don't know if they're going to be in the tag team division. You know, like I think you know. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to be a tag division. I think we already got a sneak peek of how Kevin Owens is going to turn on Kofi too. When he uh, threw Kofi to the outside, that's a perfect way to uh, get him up into a pop-up power bomb because he was Ooh, facing away from the yeah, outside. That's true. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. well, good eye. Do, do we the think analytical takes going? of Justin Joint are unmatched in this pro wrestling universe? I love it. Um, 
anything do we think that's where they're going i because I, I owens make no mistake about it I, I think we need to say this you know it, they made the right call obviously with kofi winning the wwe title it did hurt kevin owens that baby faced her yeah you know i like seeing him show some baby face chops i've been very vocal about that on this program in the past but i feel he has no direction as a baby face right now and that mm-hmm. kind of has hurt the turn oh that's because he doesn't I think a lot of people don't have any direction right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe they'll come up with something. But um, if there's one disappointment I had with this superstar shakeup, it's, you know, I'm looking at Raw on the heel side right now. And again, we all suspect Samoa Joe uh, is going to be on Raw. Meltzer reported it. Um, again, with the IC champion Balor moving to SmackDown, they're not going to have both secondary singles champions on two-hour brand they're just not so joe let's just assume he goes to raw but um you know i, I like what Sami Zayn's doing but the disappointment for me is they did not break up the uh immortal triumvirate of drew mcintyre bobby lashley baron corbin you know i've said and this may be you know a little interesting coming for me because i've said positive things about all three of those guys individually over the last mm-hmm. year but together they are death it made sense when you had the shield and you needed just three heels to work against him in six mans, but you don't have that anymore. And I really thought that one of those guys would get moved to SmackDown. Yeah. I, one, one of those three needed to take that Elias spot. Like mm-hmm. I, I thought it was going to be Baron Corbin for sure. That would be the big acquisition for SmackDown, but yeah. Do we think the Miz is going to turn in the near future? No, um, no, no. I mean, he's so much better as a heel, though. So much better. He's been solid as a baby. Yeah, I thought we were complimentary of him. I mean, he's a natural heel, yes, but I mean, okay, here's the thing. But he's 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 a good performer all around. But his best stuff is as a heel. Ryan's just still upset he lost his notes from the documentary. Yeah, (laughs) just Just being a Debbie Downer. All right. (laughs) I think the interesting thing with Miz is the Shane program was never really blown off. So, like, are they just going to, like, find a way to do the match at Monday Yeah, night? I wrote that. Yeah, covering it on Monday night, I was actually had to cover Raw this week so that I could go to Smack to the Jake thing on, on Tuesday night, the Jake Roberts thing. So I normally cover SmackDown for comic book, but I was covering Raw, and I, I covered that moment on the show. And I wrote it was a little surprising because they haven't really wrapped that up. You had the heel get the victory and Shane at Mania, so you would think there would be at least one more match. So I assume they're going to do it somehow. I mean, yeah. you do have the the brands together and all the pay-per-views. Now. Yeah. And if you remember, I think la- well, Backlash last year was closer to Mania than Money in the Bank is this year. But it was kind of wonky where I think you had a lot of guys on different brands wrestling each other on that show. So I would imagine, I'd like to at least hope that they would do a blow-off on that show between those two. But it will be, int- as far as Miz as a babyface goes, it'll be interesting to see um, how he is as a babyface in whatever his next program is. Because I think he's been very effective with the Shane thing. I've been very effective. Um, and right, I've got him as the number four babyface right now on Raw after Rollins, Braun, and AJ. Okay. But we were, we were just talking about how the heel side on Raw is kind of weak, and he could accelerate to the top heel pretty quick. Okay, so here's what's interesting. We talked about babyfaces go over at Mania, right? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'm looking at this company on both brands. The heel side's not strong. No. For either and that's brand. why I, mean, I brought up the Miz thing, because yeah, he's I, so strong as a heel. Yeah. Um, 
because I mean, with Drew losing to Roman, you know, and we talked about it, I don't know if the crowd sees him as that top contender. I mean, I think, you know, him challenging Seth, that doesn't jump out at you. Lashley, you know, there's even rumors that he might go back to Bellator. Uh, Corbin is a good heel, but he is not a good main event heel. I think that, I think the guy with the biggest ceiling right now on the heel side on Raw is Samoa Joe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You could also turn AJ and just make him a flat earther on television. <laughs> that too. He could. Yeah, he could turn heel. And then Sami Zayn, I, I like the character. Two things, though. One, I think it's going to have a ceiling on it. I think the company only sees him at a certain level. And two, is it too close to the Daniel Bryan character, what he's doing? We talk about this all the time, how WWE has like multiple people that serve because this roster is so bloated, has multiple people that serve the same function. He actually is hitting on stuff that I that I wish the Brian character would have spent more time on rather than like environment stuff. When it's just about the fans and how disgusting yeah. he is with these you know fans who think they know what they're talking about. But it's kind of similar to what Daniel Bryan did, right? Yeah, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know that. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I I love what Sami Zayn's doing though. It's been one of the highlights on the show. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to see how they differentiate between the two. You, you know where SmackDown and I don't have the name all the names down, but we're oh, and Andrade I think is a guy who hopefully can get some traction on Raw now. You know, he everyone with the exception of EC3, <laughs> the new acquisitions on Raw were treated well and were booked strong as they should have been. But you know, SmackDown I think they've got kind of like. They had some like workhorses in the middle of the card. You mentioned Buddy Murphy. Um, you know, hey, maybe he can have a match on SmackDown with Ali, who is, you know, in my opinion, the greatest sports entertainer ever known as Ali. <laughs> but they, there oh, were some man. other guys. Yeah, I don't I, I don't have the SmackDown roster up, but yeah, I mean, I I just, you know, I kind of liked what they had underneath the top guys. Um, should we talk about this Viking experience? I feel yeah, that's like what I wanted know. to close on was the Viking experience for sure. Okay. So what do we think about this? I mean, it got panned online, and I'm not high on it. I think it was kind of a needless change. Um, I think it's somewhat motivated by merchandising um, because I've I've heard they're going to sell like the Viking helmets and stuff and War Raiders. They, I guess Vince doesn't like the term war anymore. You know, like it used to be Raw's War. They dropped it um raiders there's an nfl franchise called the raiders um, uh, all right i'm gonna say something i did not think that was a great name like i get that they were just trying to like hell oh, hey yeah it's war we all know it's war machine and we're gonna just change but i remember when they came i was in the building when they debuted i was like war raiders that's kind of generic it's way better than the viking experience though okay do you, do you go ahead no just i'll let justin go the viking experience is a fucking disney ride i agree with you war raiders not a great name the war chant that the entire crowd would do that was over that was cutting their names is 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 weird and like selling their merchandise is vikings experience i doesn't matter what the fucking name is that ain't gonna sell no matter what nobody's buying some fucking viking helmets maybe up in minnesota no that's (laughs) That's about it (laughs) that's about it all right so i saw it as soon as it comes out as soon as like the name the viking experience i'm like oh boy I'm like, this is, it wouldn't have been my call, you know, but there was only one thing I like less than the name, the Viking experience. What do you think that is? Vince Russo. 
Okay, there's two things. The online reaction to it was completely overblown. I'm sorry, man. People, like, just have all these fucking hills to die on. Look, okay? Hanson's cartwheel spot got over. They came in. They pinned the wrong tag champs clean. And, yes, pardon me, Ivar. I'm sorry. I, I need to do it right. And they were the match got over. I, we say this with every name change, man. People don't like it. For it, you can call him fucking Susan for all I care about. Can we at least it, agree that shortening the name to just Eric is bad? I, I don't like. Yeah, I don't like when it's that. But we get over these. And here's the thing, too. Everyone doesn't like Viking experience, but everyone thinks Pirate Princess is so cute and awesome. What the fuck is the difference? No, I don't really Guy like pirate. that gimmick. I'll, I, I'll be, I, I, uh, I I'll be honest. Thank with you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having the balls to say that. Thank you. For that I don't like least, it. Because at least you're consistent. Because at least you're consistent then. Me? Or yes. Justin? Okay. Both yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't I don't particularly like that gimmick. I'll be honest with you. It's a little goofy. <laughs> but, but but people do I like the and performer. The, yeah. But the same people who were bitching about Viking experience, how many of them think Pirate Princess is cool? Yeah, that's that is bad. <laughs> to, to quote okay. Kyle Ross. That's that's bad. Okay. Okay. I think the difference is is her being from Japan in anime kind of plays a part in that it's just it's just a little bit more goofy in general where the war raiders had a little bit more edge to them in nxt they were part of uh nxt war games which yeah. apparently they don't have a problem with war in that and then you change it to the viking experience well, that's which like nice. i said which it like i said sounds little. like a, a ride it shows how little Vince pays attention. To yes. NXT. Okay. And that that's the story here. Not yeah. the name. The name is the story is okay. They sign these guys. Right. And it's obvious Vince McMahon has no, in, like has no interest in the initial branding of these guys. And he should. Now I get that Vince can maybe just change. Maybe he called them up and he's like, or, you know, who's the, give me the tag team champions down there, Paul. And he's like, all right, it's the war Raiders. And then like, he got the TV that day. He's like, you know what? I don't like that. I get that that can happen with Vince, right? I guess. But Vince McMahon should absolutely be involved in the branding of these guys when they start in NXT. Because we talk about all the time, the synergy between the main roster and NXT, the, the lack of it sometimes is an issue. And it yeah. was goofy how Corey Graves, who's called NXT, was like, you know, was putting, oh, you know these guys. And he's like, yep, I know them by a different name, but they're still going to bring the same action. That was goofy. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think like again everyone bitches about these name changes like right off the rip and then it's forgotten. I don't really care. Again, if as long if they're working, if you know if their work's good, it's fine. The thing that bothered and me the they, most they were they were goofy Viking. It was a goofy Viking gimmick anyway. It's they're not still like, doing the same. Yeah, it's just a different name. That's yeah. but that I think that's what frustrates people. It's not so much that the name is lame. It's the lack of consistency. And there being no reason to do it. Yes. I think I think if they had come into NXT as the Viking experience, people might have said that's kind of a you know crappy name, but it wouldn't have been the outrage that it is for this because you have a team that is the NXT tag team champions that have a gimmick that's already working, and then you bring them up, and it's just it's just that story you get out of WWE all the time where they do stuff for no reason. And this is like, why, yes. why even do, why I, cause the problem when they already have something that's working on your own television on the network? I mean, like it's, it's one of, it's not like they came in with from ring of honor or something like they're working in your company yeah. already with tag team championships. That's, that's the big issue. I saw uh, tweets from people um, like Mick Foley and people 
formerly in the WWE talking about, oh, like, you know, my first gimmick didn't work that well. And or they or they had a first gimmick for me, like uh uh what was the one Mick Foley they wanted him to be? I can't even remember. Um but oh, he's like, okay. oh. he always talks about it. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't gonna work. And then I got mankind, you know, like but the difference here is that these guys already had a gimmick yeah. and it did work and then they changed it. It's not like I saw him talking about that. I saw him talking about the names they wanted to give Steve Austin that they ended up not going with that were so bad. And it's like, but they didn't go with them. And that was the first try. This is, they already had something working under their own banner. That's why it's so head scratching that they would change it when it was already working for them on their own rock, one of their own rosters. I think, I think that's what caused so much of the, the outbursts on Twitter. I think it's much ado about nothing, personally. Is if they, if they if they if they work just as well as they did in X. By the way, I didn't think they were the best babyface tag team in NXT. What do you got to say about that? <laughs> I mean, that's fine. Street or, profits. I, I like the street profits better. Um, you mean the street experience? Yes. I just think that, like, I, I just I don't know. People get like, in, I, I get that. To me, the story is like you said, Ryan. That's the bigger story that it's obvious that Vince McMahon is not involved in the branding down in NXT when he clearly should yeah. be. And so like, it just comes, it's like, what? Like, and it, and it kind of is intellectually dishonest to your NXT audience, you know, when they're just, they're just changing their name. Like it's one thing if you're bringing them in from a different promotion and you change the name too. So it's like, you know, I mean, did, the triple ah fuck it we'll just call them war raiders i guess is close enough to war machine i mean that obviously was not run by vince i'm assuming that unless mm-hmm. if vince only recently decided he did not like the term war yeah so i don't it, it is head scratching in the end you know if they stay with this name and they don't change it it'll probably be fine and people will get used to it and everything it's, it's just the outrage at the beginning of you know why it just seems silly why are you doing this you got something that works already and yeah, so we'll we'll see we'll see. But uh, anything else we want to hit on before we take it home this week? Oh, uh, let me just go quick through my notes here. I think we kind of hit it all here. Uh, baby Yeah, I got it all, man. All right, hell of a broadcast, gentlemen. Appreciate always it is. as always. Yeah, yes, definitely. Always is. All right. Well, um, let's see. Definitely, uh, we'll be back next week with episode 95. And uh, in the meantime, you can catch us on Twitter at Top Rope Nation is the podcast account. You can check me at Historical Ryan, uh, Kyle's at TRP Kyle, and Justin at Justin Joint. So uh, again, let us know what you think of the show, topropenation at gmail.com. Rate, subscribe, and review on iTunes and wherever podcasts are found. And we will catch you guys next week with another edition of Top Rope Nation. Have a good weekend.